Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. to In My Heart, a podcast truly about all of the things in my heart and finding our freedoms. I'm your host, Heather Thompson. Be sure to stay tuned after today's interview for Holla Back. That's my Q&A where I'm answering questions from my listeners, so be sure to stay tuned. Dr. Wendy Osefo is a professor, a political analyst, and an entrepreneur. As a Maryland native, Nigerian-born Dr. Wendy joins the ladies of the Real Housewives of Potomac this season as a first-timer. Dr. Wendy's also a philanthropist who has sought to give back by supporting the next generation of leaders. As the founder and CEO of the 1954 Equity Project, which provides tools, mentorship, and resources to underrepresented minorities to help them thrive in higher education. Dr. Wendy was also featured, along with other incredible women, such as Dr. Jill Biden, on People's That's Doctor to You, covering famous and influential women with doctorates. Dr. Wendy, man, you are the real deal, and you're in my heart, and I'm so pleased to have you. Welcome. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. So let's just jump in and talk a little bit about your background, what it was like growing up, how you landed at Temple University, you know, then on to Johns Hopkins and then Rutgers. And I mean, you have a PhD. Did you know you wanted to do that? How did that plan come into play or lay out for you? I am the daughter of immigrants. I myself am an immigrant myself. I came here when I was fairly young, like a toddler. And so a lot of who I am and what I am, I say a lot, but I want to say almost everything that I am is really rooted in my background from just being the daughter of immigrants. You know, you're pushed to succeed. You're pushed to be the first in this country to achieve because your parents came so far and all they want to do is see you be successful. So my life has been a testament to that. Now, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I don't know. Because sometimes you end up doing things for your family and it's like, is this really what I want to do, right? And so for me, I think that I am big on family. I am big on making sure that whatever you do in life, you're the best at it. You know, I never forget that my mom told me when I was very young, she said, I don't care what you want to do, but if you are even going to be a plumber, I want you to be Mr. Clean. I don't even know if Mr. Clean was a plumber, but that was like her, her immigrant analogy, right? So she just wanted us to be the best and chase our dreams. And I feel like 30 plus years of my life has been trying to achieve that. 
That's beautiful. And Mr. Clean was, in fact, a, a plumbing cleaning icon. So your mom Yay. was right. I just don't know if he was. I just don't know if he was real. And can you imagine Mr. Clean cleaning our bathrooms now, like the big bald guy with the ring in his ear? <laughs> I know, kind of hot, a little bit, kind of sexy. Oh my God, that's so funny. Well, and I want to shelf that for a minute, but we're going to come back to that. Like, you know, whose life are we living? And sometimes mm. that happens. And when you when you mention it in your context, I think that that's really impactful. Because as an immigrant, when you come here, like you've been given this dream, right, this opportunity, and to have the feeling that you had in your heart and your head and in your whole body to not waste it is yeah. really powerful. And to prove that you're to your parents that whatever struggle they went through to get you here, that you were going to do the best you could with it. So that's a, that's a beautiful statement. That's a, that, that's a testament to who you are. So tell me a little bit more about how, why they came here and what some of the circumstances were, because I know that your home is very important to you. You're very proud yeah. of Nigeria and you're proud of your heritage. And so we share some of that with us. Yeah. So, you know, I always say that my parents have like that typical immigrant story. They came here to the land of the free because they wanted an education, whether people know it or not. In a lot of countries like Nigeria, education is impulsive in the sense that it is an ebbs and flows like with the government. So if the government is on strike, then that means schools are on strike. There are people who could take them 10 years to finish college, not because they're inadequate, but because when the government pauses, their education pauses and it'll take them time to get back. So my parents, you know, were given the opportunity through their parents, my grandparents to come here to the States to get a better education that they can, you know, predict, so to yes. speak, right? And so with that being said, they came here, they also got jobs here, and they have lived here for the time being, and they've gone back and forth, you know, ever since they came. But they met each other, and one, I always say one rainy night, they met each other, and there were two young kids who found home in each other. Does that make sense? Like, imagine you're in a foreign country, but then you find someone in that foreign country from the same home that you Community, want. 100%. Looks like yes. you has the same feelings about certain things as you do. Everything. And then, you know, they got married, they had kids, and the rest is history. That's amazing. <laughs> I love it. Now, I'm just going to jump forward, too, because your parents have been married for how many years? Well, before they separated, they were married for, I think, upwards of like 10, 12, maybe 15. But they didn't make it. What happened? Life. Life always happens, right? It like does. anything, life happens. And you find that sometimes young love does not transform into adult love. Yeah. And that was the story. And so they have a great deal of respect for each other. They both went on to get remarried. My brother was actually from my mom's second marriage, but, you know, I consider him like my brother. Of course. And then my dad also remarried and he has children as well. And, you know, it is what it is. No hard feelings. But they had me. Yes. <laughs> well, and that was pretty great, wasn't Hello? it? Hello. I, I like a divorce success story. That's what I call it. Because I think one of the things I, I try to change the conversation, I think we get stuck in these societal barriers, you know, the super ego that tells us all these things we're supposed to do. And what you said is young love doesn't always turn into old love. And and you said it's so cool. Like, I'm like, oh no, what happened? You're like life, girl. (laughs) And so I love that because we are living longer and we're staying married longer and there's a lot of change that happens. And I like to look at a marriage that went for, you know, 10 or 12 years and had a beautiful child out of as a success, even though the marriage didn't last. 
It was yeah. su- it's success while it lasted. Absolutely. Now you've been married though su- successfully, <laughs> continually. Yes. For a long time, yes. and and your husband and you kind of you've been married nine years, and didn't you kind of meet the same way? Like you met as teenagers, and you had a lot of similarities that then grew into love. Yeah, you know, so like my husband and I, we, is interesting, right? Because we met when we were in high school, like we were like 16 and he liked me. He was Nigerian. He was from the same tribe, you know, and I was like, you are so handsome, but you don't have a car. So I will pass on you. (laughs) And that's really what happened. And we just stayed in touch. And then he went to college. I went away to college. And then I came back from my college and went to grad school. And where I went to grad school is where he was, which happened to be Maryland, like in the state of Maryland. Right. And we bumped into each other. He invited me to an event his fraternity was having. And the rest is history. Did he have a car yet? Has a nice car. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. amazing. So thank God for the car because you're thank together God. for nine years and you have three beautiful children, right? You have yes. a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, and you have a newborn baby. Yes, my newborn baby is so funny because, you know, being on a housewife show, you often get to memorialize moments in your life. Yes. And so I'm watching the show and I see my newborn baby. Literally, we have her sippancy on the show. And I turn off the TV and I look to my left and I see the 17 month old walking around. And I'm like, what happened? Like, I remember when I was cradling you. And so, yeah, she's a big girl now. (laughs) That's so funny that you say that that happens on the show, because I too have, uh, I have some memories of the show. And when they show Mm -hmm. the old shows, now I've been off the show for six years and I was on the show for three. So think about how big big Mm. my kids are now. And my kids were about your age when I was on the show, which Mm. is even though it's hard to balance the show and a career and children, I mean, cause you're yeah. like me, you're like really working. You're a mom mm-hmm. of, you know, young children and you're doing the housewives. So your plate is quite full. Very. <laughs> but it, it's a difference when they're younger because I went back and made cameos and my kids are now, you know, 16 and 13. So they have opinions. <laughs> <laughs> they're not just showing up for the baby shower, you know? Right. So, right. Interesting. But you, but you also, you see that a little bit now, but wait until you're off the show for years or you've been on the show for years and you look back and you see, like Ella rode a bike for her first time on The Housewives. Oh my gosh. The first time she took off on her own, it was memorialized on the show. Oh my goodness. I know. So they, they, there, there, are, wow. there are a lot of silver linings. But let's mm-hmm. kind of dig into that. Like, I, I thought I was going to get right into your unbelievable dynamic career in college and your and your passions and all of your degrees and everything like that. But having that as an overarching understanding of you, I got to dig right into the houses because we're talking about it. Was it a hard decision for you to make to do the show? How did, how did it come to you? Tell us a little bit about that. Yes and no. I feel like... So the opportunity fell on my lap because I knew some of the women in social settings. And so when I was approached to do the show, it's like the good angel and the bad angel. The good angel was telling me, you know, Wendy, you only live once. Why wouldn't you do this? You know, I don't want to look back when I'm 90 years old and say, what would have happened if I would have taken that opportunity? The bad angel is exactly what you say, saying you have done all this other stuff. Why in the world would you venture down that lane? But the good angel took over and I am a big daredevil. Anything that could get my adrenaline going, I do it. 
And so sometimes that means doing things that I'm scared of. Yeah. And so I went ahead and I took the opportunity. Very good for your brain to do that. You know, it's like proven <laughs> to be good exercise for your brain really? to be afraid. Yep. Really? Yeah. Like it's good for you. Well, it's funny for me to ask the question to you because, you know, I love interviewing housewives because I'm the one who always <laughs> asks those questions. And my answer is very similar to yours. Mine oh my. is uh, was about the positives and the negatives. And I put the checklist together. And the mm. negatives of the show far outweighed the positives, but they were not, it was like, so what? Like, if, if the, what's the worst thing mm-hmm. that could happen if these negative things happen? What's the worst thing? But if I didn't do it, the positives would go away. And I felt the opportunity mm. was much bigger than the risk. But what's hitting me now, which is so funny, is as from a career woman to a career woman who came onto the show and had to actually weigh would it hurt me? Yeah. Is I think a testament to them casting you and casting people like me, because I think more people that have true careers and real robust lives outside of the show versus creating them on the show might mm. be, a, a, you know, something that they need to look at as the franchise evolves and grows. So how are, how are you balancing now that you're on and, and you decided the risk was greater than the reward or the, the, the good angel had your back? Yeah, yeah. Tell me a little bit about now that you're in it. Yeah. I mean, now that you're in it, it's like, you know, you got, you have to make the best of it. Like you already did it. So it's like, I might as well, you know, do what I need to do. And so it's, it's been a journey. It's been a wild ride and I've enjoyed every, I was about to lie. There have been some times I haven't enjoyed it. I was about to say, I've enjoyed every step of the way. No, that's not realistic. There's sometimes I'm like, oh my goodness. But it has allowed me to see different aspects of myself that I never knew existed when you're put in certain situations. And part of the other hat I wear is, aside from being a professor, I'm also a commentator. And it allows me to be analytical in the moment, which I love. I love like being pressed with hard issues and having to think critically on the spot and given a response. And so that has been something that I, I have enjoyed personally, but I mean, with anything, there's positives and there's negatives. Right. And so, I mean, I think that's a key to a housewife, right. Is like quick thinking on your feet, being able to react and those sorts of things. And I, I like that too. I like that dynamic, you know, thought process and, and I like the entertainment side of it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I did. I really Mm -hmm. liked that. I liked being, whether they liked me that week or not liked me that week, they were tuning, you know what I mean? Like they were tuning in to see the show and I wasn't really ever, you know, that worried about, you know, my reputation or how I would come across because I don't think my production teams for sure aren't casting people on the show to change who they are. They're casting the people on the show to be who they are. And I think that that's a testament for the housewives that really do show up as themselves. Like Mm. I tried to show up as myself every day. I didn't try to be what I thought the, you know, the the cast wanted or the viewers wanted. I tried Mm -hmm. to stay true to myself. And I think you very much walk that line as well. Yeah. I think that that's interesting, right? Because being on the show, if I would have heard that comment, Prior to joining the show, I wouldn't be able to understand what that really means. But now that I'm on the show and I'm able to see people who are transforming themselves to be more palatable or to be more acceptable to the audience, it's really interesting because, you know, now I can call it. I'm sure you can, right? You can see like from a mile away, like I see what's going on here. And so what I told myself was I am going to be authentic to me. And I'm not ashamed of who I am. And that was the final point of processing whether to do the show was if you are confident and if you are proud of who you are and you're not ashamed of it, 
then what's so wrong with a camera following you doing things that are authentic to who you are anyway? And from that lens, I said, why not? However, now that I'm in it, I do see people whose lives are not grown organically on the show, but rather the show is a mechanism for them to now start to grow their lives, if that makes sense. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Hi guys, I'm Caitlin Carter, host of the Bright Side Podcast. I created the show as a space for people who have had an impact in my life to further inspire others through their stories, their honesty, their kindness, and optimism. Each week, I'll be sitting down with inspiring friends, new and old, to have meaningful conversations centered around our own experiences with complete transparency and authenticity. We will discuss how we face challenging moments, adjust perspective, and reframe situations to find the silver lining. I personally believe that there is a bright side to every situation, and I'm excited to have this platform to encourage that way of thinking and share this message with you all. New episodes come out on Tuesdays, so come join me and start your week on the bright side. So I've got to ask you this, your college kids, do they bug you about the show all the time? Your students? Oh my gosh. <laughs> They've been actually really, really good. They've been really good. But a few of them will send me an email and they'll say, hi, Professor Osefo. I just looked on the syllabus. Can you answer the question? And by the way, I watched Sunday's episode. Can you tell me why? I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> so they start off really nice. And then as I continue reading the emails, like, and then I'm like, oh boy. And do you know if BravoCon will be back? I'm like, <laughs> what's happening here <laughs> that is so funny well, yeah because I'm sure that the, those two worlds have to collide yes, I mean there's no absolutely there's no, tell me about I want to know teachers blow my mind I think you guys are so important builders of our future mm-hmm. I, I just love it and it's been you know through the pandemic obviously learning has been so difficult yeah and I'm seeing it at the level of a 13 and 16 year old How's it been for you in college and how are you guys, you know, getting around that and what it's been, what's it been like for your kids? It's been challenging. COVID and the pandemic has hit everyone in all walks of life. It's changed the way our social lives are, as well as our personal and professional lives. And for us, it's just been, how do we engage with our students in a way that they're able to still receive the message without being able to be in a classroom, right? And that has been a little bit challenging, but I honestly think that human beings as a species, we are resilient and the ways in which we have all been able to rejigger our lives to this pandemic and we just have been able to figure it out for the most part and make it work, it's not lost on me. And it's it's definitely something that I see at the university level, like we're just making it work. I was asking the question too, because I was thinking like, College kids are movers and shakers, you know, like they're now yeah. ready. High school, yes, you'll find some in high school, but they're not mm-hmm. really, they're still forming themselves. Now they're in college and they have, you know, real opinions and places they want to go and places mm-hmm. they want to be. And I wondered if you had experiences with any of your college age kids that were like, we're going to lasso this problem. We're going to figure out a way around it. Have you seen them using their own problem solving ways to overcome at that age? Yeah, so a little bit because like I teach graduate students, right? So I teach people who are about to get like their doctorate degrees. And so they're working through their dissertations and what we call the problem of practice. And they're incorporating some ways in which they think their problem can be instituted in the current climate that we see. And so as I'm reading their papers, I'm like, oh my God, that's genius. That makes sense. Like I would never have thought of that, but, but for the pandemic, they are now turning into these innovative people 
and they're thinking of like these amazing things. And every time I read a paper or I see a project, I'm always like, I, I swear the future is in our children. Like they are, they're brilliant. Like they got this, like they know what's going on. We're the problem, but yeah. they know what's going on here. I'm yeah. excited to learn that they're actually graduate students because that gets them that much closer to actually running for office or something. Because Hello, yeah. Because I really, I, I was so curious when I, when I was having you on, I was like, I'm dying to just ask for the questions about like your students and, and what they're going to do because, you know, at best, obviously we have standouts everywhere, but I think everybody could agree at best our, you know, political system and people that are running our country are mediocre at best. You know what I mean? And so there's change that needs to come into play. There's some antiquated ideals and we just need fresh blood, new ideas, new thinkers that weren't brought up like even at our age with Mm -hmm. quite the super egos or societal blocks that I was talking about with marriage. You know, they've been through, you know, they probably had a best friend in school that was LGBTQ, yet mine would never even told me right. yet. Right. So right. I just feel like this change and this evolution of change and speaking to someone like you, who is a, a leader and, and, and change maker with what you do, I'm happy to hear that you found the silver lining in that. It's so funny you say that because I always give my one of my favorite quotes, right? When my, I love Tupac. Like I am a Tupac fan. And he has a quote and it says, I may not change the world, but I promise you, I will touch the mind of the person who does. For me as an educator, I always like keep that in the forefront of my head. Like my job is so much greater than pass, making you pass a test. It's the fact that I have the ability and the platform not to necessarily change the world through myself, but to be able to impart some wisdom on an individual that may be the next Gandhi. I don't know. That's right. Or who may give birth to the next Gandhi. So that's how I approach it. And when I see their work or when I see what they're thinking of and the innovation in their head, I'm like, okay, the world is not going to be, you know, a shit show after all. We have some people who are going to help us. Hallelujah. I love that, <laughs> sister. Yes. I love that. Well, I mean, listen, you, did you always dream of getting your PhD because you were actually no. sitting in these? Okay, so <laughs> you didn't. So how did it happen? How did you talk about that? Because not only did you earn a PhD, which is, you know, obviously, but you were also the first black woman in history to earn a PhD in public affairs and community development, which is to me gives me the chills because ah. oh, I love that. And let's talk about that a little bit. So it's interesting because... It actually dovetails nicely into what we were talking about around immigrants. I didn't want to get my PhD, but growing up, you know, one thing that was very big for my parents was the fact that my sister and I, we were either going to be a doctor or a lawyer. If you find Nigerian children that are in their, you know, mid to late 30s, that would be the story that they tell you. And the reason I'm putting an age gap on it is because I have a younger brother who's 18. Yep. And nobody has told him that he has to do that. Like right. that kid wants to be a movie, like he wants to make films, which is amazing, but he doesn't have the same pressure. So my PhD was actually done begrudgingly because I was like, oh man, I have to freaking be a doctor or lawyer. And I didn't see myself working with blood like, that's not my thing. So I was right. like, okay, well, let me be a doctor in a different way. And so I got my doctorate degree. And so my sister, just to give you like illustration, my sister's a surgeon and she's three years older than me. So she took the bait. She became a surgeon. My husband is an attorney. My sister's husband's an attorney, but we all come from the 
age group of you're either a doctor or a lawyer. So me getting my PhD, I love it. I'm glad I did it, but it wasn't something that when I woke up, you know, at the age of 16, I was like, I want to get my PhD. Heck no. Right. I hated school. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you've done a damn good job hiding it. Thank you. (laughs) That's right. And I mean, listen, I feel like I haven't even scratched the surface on all the things that you do and I want to get into it, but whether professionally or personally, in order to have achievements and successes, we know that failure is a part of that game. Yes. Can you give us a little insight on some of the failures that you've had to face and maybe some tips for how you overcame them? You know, as you rightfully said, like failure is par for the course. I don't think there's anyone who has ever been successful that has never failed. But for me, like in my life, I have failed at what I think are big things. Like I said, I don't like school. And there was a time that I was on the verge of not being able to go back to school because I did terribly in it. And the reason why I didn't do well in school was because I was more focused on the destination and not the journey. I love Meaning that. I was like, ah, I don't want to be here. Like, I don't want to study this. I just want to go ahead and go into the working world and start my job. Why do I need this intermediary step? But the truth of the matter is like, the journey is what prepares you for the destination. If you don't have the journey, if you don't have the failures, if you don't have those moments, you are not going to be successful at your destination. So that whole notion of embrace the journey, it's true. People often get caught up on the big prize. The big prize is not being successful. The big prize is what you learn in your journey to being successful. Because that is what's going to keep you at the top, if that makes sense. That's why sometimes we see people who may, you know, we say people come from privilege, right? And they don't understand what it means to work hard. And, you know, we see them going through these different things in their lives. Because when you usurp that journey, it's like an integral part of your life. So that would be my, my big takeaway is pay attention on the journey because that is what's going to allow you to be able to stay where you are once you get to your destination. I just love that. Now I've heard this broken down a a lot of ways and I've never really heard it the way that you put it in this particular question. And I have to just talk about that a little bit because I love your perspective on it. Now, I don't know if you know this about me, but I like to climb high, high mountains. And (laughs) I always say it's not the summit, you know, at 22,000 feet in the Himalayas of Mm -hmm. Nepal. It's not the summit. It's the journey to get to the summit. And I mean, in terms of packing my bags, even before I leave. And what you just said to me was, if I didn't pack right for the trip, I'd have a terrible trip. I'd have actually a potentially a totally unsuccessful trip if I didn't have the right gear, if I wasn't prepared. Mm -hmm. And then the skin knees along the way make the top that much sweeter. And Mm -hmm. so again, like another perspective shift for future generations getting out of these boxes that we shouldn't be afraid of failure. I mean, literally mm. some people were, were afraid to fail and it is 100% a part of life. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I wouldn't have half of the wisdom I have if I didn't have 50 years behind me of experience. That's right. And that's basically what you're saying. Absolutely. That's beautiful. I love that, Wendy. Thanks for sharing that with me. Of course. 
Hey folks, take a listen. I want you to know that typical children's vitamins can basically be candy in disguise, filled with up to two teaspoons of sugar, unhealthy chemicals, and other junk growing kids just don't need. That's why Haya was created by two new dads. Haya children's vitamins are formulated with nutritional experts, pressed with a blend of 12 organic fruits and veggies, then supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals, including vitamin B12, vitamin D, C, zinc, folate, and many others to help support immunity, energy, brain function, mood, concentration, strong, healthy teeth, bones, and more. What I love is Haya is designed for kids of all ages and sent straight to your door so parents have one less thing to worry about. You get this cool bottle with your first order and then they send you eco-friendly refills every month. Again, something you don't have to think about. Haya is a pediatrician approved, super powered, chewable kids vitamin that fills in the most common gaps in modern children's diets to provide the full body nourishment our kids need. And we've worked out a special deal with Haya. For their best-selling children's vitamin, you can receive 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, go to HayaHealth.com slash InMyHeart. This deal is not available on their regular website, so you must go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H.com slash InMyHeart and get your kids the full-body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. Now on to my show. I know that you have a, a passion for philanthropic work. I, I do as well. And I think that it's important that we all show up to the table with something in our pockets that's important. That's a give back. And you're the founder and CEO of the 1954 Equity Project. Now mm-hmm. that provides tools and like mentorships, right? Resources to underrepresented minorities to help them thrive in higher education like your parents instilled in you. How did you get involved in it? Uh, It's interesting because just being an educator, I found that a lot of my students of color were feeling as though they weren't a part of the campus community. And what I said was, you know, I don't ever want anyone to feel alienated. I want everyone to feel like they're part of something. There's something important about being a part. And so that night, as I was thinking of it, I stumbled upon the 1954 Supreme Court decision, Brown versus Board of Education, where one of the, it wasn't a dissent, but one of the judges' comments said, separate can never be equal. So I said to myself, that's absolutely right. When anything is separate, it can never be equal. So the Equity Project makes sure that people, no matter your race, color, creed, you feel as though you are part of the campus community. And we've really done some good work around that. There's a lot of students that they're the first in their family to go to college. And when you are in that position, who do you go to for advice? So just building a sense of community around those students and making sure that everyone feels like they're part of something. A hundred percent. That's beautiful work and such important work. Thank you for that and leaning into that because once again, you're making strides toward helping a future America. And I really, really appreciate that. Now, Along with that, you know, you you also appear regularly on, on TV shows and you provide analysis for on race and politics. And they are two pretty hot topics right now, girl. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Hello. And thank God, <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm one of those people that it's just like, oh, come on already. Like, come on mm-hmm. already. Like mm-hmm. what you just said, like, why can't we all stop separating ourselves and, and, mm-hmm. and enjoy our differences and celebrate them and listen a little bit more? OK, that's me. 
man, you're in a position right now, and I want to talk about it because let's just stay on race for a second because the politics is a whole nother thing, and we're coming now off of a, you know a historical, terrible day in, in America where our capital was attacked and stormed. And you know, I know I, I'm sure you are, as all Americans are still reeling from understanding the reality of that, and those things aren't supposed to happen here, and what we take for granted here. And you are such a perfect voice for this right now. So not to, you know, put the bag in your lap, but can we talk a little bit about some of the things that are important that people just need to understand and listen to and just do better at right now when it comes to race? It's interesting because I woke up this morning and I saw this meme and it said, what happened to the Capitol? Is that the finale of 2020 or is that the premiere of 2021? Because we need to know, because this is just too much. And, you know, we are just coming off the heels of the Black Lives Matter movement, having such a large voice with the killing of George Floyd. And now we are going into what's see, being seen at the Capitol. And quite frankly, people can differentiate the two and say, well, one doesn't have to do with race. Well, if you look at a lot of the groups that supported what happened on January 6th, they're people that are anti-anything except for white. And that's an important conversation to have. And it's also important a conversation to have about the reaction that they were met with. I have protested and I have marched so many times for Black Lives Matter. And when I tell you the presence is almost similar to military presence that you see at those rallies. You can't even think about doing something wrong. But at this event, they were welcomed. The building. There was not a rubber bullet to be seen, if anything. I completely agree. Not a rubber bullet, not a tear gas, not a military tank, not a nothing. And so when, when, when we talk about what does it mean to be Black in America, when we talk about America often having two different standards for people, it's kind of hard to argue that now because this is a federal building. Like there was a woman that had a postpartum episodic episode in 2013, a black woman. She had her 13 month old baby in the backseat of the car and she sort of rammed a, a, a gate outside of the Capitol. They shot her five times, one woman. So now I guess the question becomes, how can we have an argument around what is separate and what is equal when yesterday's events showed us that there is two different Americas. And so we have to have that conversation as a nation. Yes, we do have to have that conversation. I'm so glad that you brought that up because I want to keep pointing out the double standards and the absolute differences. And it does roll into a political discussion right now, because if anyone also was paying attention of who was storming the White House, there was a majority of certain things there. And I saw Confederate flags there and I saw yes. all kinds of things there that yes. are stomach turning to me. So Absolutely. let's talk about that in politics right now. And mm -hmm. you are an, you know, an expert in it. And how are we going to or how can we as a, as a community and people, aside from listening more and doing our own part and trying to understand and reading books and talking to our friends and neighbors, what can we do at the political level? How do we vote? How can we do it? Can it match? Can we do something at the political level to start to also move this forward? Yeah, I think sometimes, you know, whether we like it or not, individuals, we vote on party lines. And I always tell people it's not about that. It's about reading these individuals' platforms and what they stand for and what they vote for. Because sometimes people may be affiliated with one party or another, but how they vote is completely different. So you don't want to be fooled by that. 
And I just also think for us as individuals every day, just owning how we contribute to this. And even us as Black people, there's an element to the ways in which we may contribute to it. And for me, for instance, you know, is this whole notion of, okay, you have a PhD, so you may not understand the plight of Black people. Like I've I've heard white people say that to me. And it's like, no, that's not true because when I'm driving, my, my license plate doesn't say PhD. Yeah. You know, when my husband is driving, it doesn't say that. They see a six foot two black man. And so it's really important for us to know that these things in our society do exist. And the ways in which they they continue to exist is that we perpetuate these same stereotypes, whether explicitly or implicitly. And we have to be aware of the ways in which we do that. And that's the only way generations for our children are going to be better is for us to say, how am I contributing to this in a negative way? And what do I need to change? One of the things I recognize, and I'm not an educator and I don't come even from a family of educators, you know, nothing like that, but something stood glaringly to me after this four years that we've had in America and so much division in America. And then of course the pandemic hitting in America I really started to think about what I was taught about politics and what I was taught about mm. pop culture. And I started to look at my kids are educated, you know, they're private school educated. Like I wasn't, you know, and mm. I started to really dig in and like exactly what they know. And they're so much more involved in politics than I ever was at their age at 13 and 15. You know, I was kind of told, oh, that's adult business. You don't have to worry about that yet. Right. And that couldn't be further from the truth. And mm-hmm. one of the things I, I feel really strongly about, I want to ask you about this is, We learn history in school, but we learn the history of the world, not just American history. And we get like a sliver of American history. And when we get Mm -hmm. the sliver of American history, it's not even like the full story of American history. Mm -hmm. I want to like try to get behind some sort of like new regulation in schools where kids have to learn about politics and American history from kindergarten through 12th grade. I agree. We don't know enough and our kids will know enough and we'll have better governments. And I just wanted to see what you think about that. And maybe there's something that we can do together to try to put something like that into action. I, I, I just think it's important that we're not educated enough. It's so funny you say this because I woke up this morning and, you know, I opened my phone and I'm just looking through Twitter, you know, waking up to see what's the aftermath of everything that happened. Yeah. And I said to myself, this was my exact quote, they better not whitewash this. Like, I want my kids to learn about what happened on January 6, 2021 in their history books. I want it to be written that there was an attempted coup yes. on the United States government, and this is what happened. And so so interesting you say that because a lot of things that I do know about politics or a lot of things I do know about American history is from reading. I didn't learn it in school. I learned, you know, they, the, the glitzy stuff. They tell you about the pilgrims and they tell you about Thanksgiving and that's cute. They don't tell you about the Indians that were slaughtered. They don't mm. tell you about that stuff. Nope. And so I think it's really important for us to have a conversation around the ways in which we are educating the next generation, because to tie that into your earlier question about what can be done with Black Lives Matter and how do we work through that? Well, a lot of us are learning about these things in adulthood. But the truth of the matter is if it was taught to us when we were younger, we wouldn't have to now rechange things or say, oh, I understand my privilege. No, if you're going to teach my kids and if education, K through 12 education is compulsory, which it is, then teach them the truth. Yes. However hard that may be. Because 
the history is hard, not because it's fictitious, but because that's what we did. That's right. And so if we're so ashamed of what we did, then we shouldn't have done it. Right. And if we did it, then teach it to the kids so they don't repeat it. A hundred percent. I mean, there's like famous quotes about it. If you don't yeah. know history, then you're going to, you know, destined to repeat it. And the truth of the matter is, is that the ugly history, they tried, they whitewashed it, like you said, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it's not pretty. A statue of, you know, three slaves in bondage and chains isn't pretty. And so That's right. the fuck what? Because, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Either as a white slave owner, owner perched high on a horse, either is right. pretty, right? You know, I think it's a big issue that we have to approach. And I just love that we're having this conversation. I'm always ready to be uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> and I appreciate it. Now, I know that as a public figure now, because I watched this happen to my girl, Carol Radziwell. I don't know if you know Carol, but I was on, she was on the Real Housewives of New York City. Okay. She was a journalist and, and an Emmy, mm-hmm. Emmy award-winning journalist and oh, wow. she's political. And so she gets a lot of pushback on her social media when she tries to be mm-hmm. political because she's like a public figure now. She's like, no, I'm a journalist. Mm-hmm. Hello. Have you experienced some pushback on, you know, your voice at all? I hope not. And, and don't shut up if you have. Not really. Not not more than the usual. Because I am a public figure, I have people who follow me for different reasons. But not really. Because I came into the Housewives having had this platform of being political and being like someone who's on TV all the time in your face telling you these things. So people sort of knew what, what came with it, you know? It's kind of funny because I actually have people who say... We like that Wendy more than Housewives Wendy. Yeah. So that's actually funny. <laughs> and maybe that's just because of the social climate we're in. And some people just want to be told the truth. Like they want to, you know, hear what's really going on in the world. But it's it's interesting because I do know some people in the housewife sphere who say they don't want to do or talk about politics because they don't want to alienate their fans. Yes. And I find that interesting too. All right. So I know that you have a penchant for interior design. Yes. And so, you know, I want to just talk to you about like in the pandemic, like what's making you tick right now? You know, is it interior design? Have you been like smothering yourself with interior design projects? I mean, you must have been during the pandemic. Share us, give us some tidbits. I am. It's so funny because I found something that I actually love and it's become a passion project. And I think I want to take it to the next level. I'm thinking about potentially starting like my own, like, home essential line or something like that, because it's so different than what I do in my everyday life. But I find a sense of relaxing from it, right? Like some people like to get manicures. I like to redecorate my house. That's just (laughs) my thing. And so I love it. I'm really enjoying it. I love candles. I love greenery. I love scents. I am like a scent person. I, this is probably the craziest thing I've done. Before pandemic, my husband and I went to Miami. We were staying in this hotel. And every time I walked into the lobby, I was like, it smells so good in here. Scent marketing. It's <laughs> and I, and I, marketing. It's real. I heard about yeah. it. I heard about it. Yeah. And so I tracked down like the general manager. I'm like, what is this scent? He gave me the card. And so in my house, I have these two commercial grade like ventilation systems like installed in my house and it blows oils. And I am obsessed with it. Like I don't do, I used to do Glade plugins, but now when people walk in my house, they're like, I don't see a plugin. I don't see anything. What's the scent? I'm like, it's coming through the vent. <laughs> I, I love, love it. That. That's, it's so great. Now I want to give you a, a tip about this. So 
I've been working with an Ayurvedic doctor and she's mm. great, incredible. Her name is Dr. Gupta. And she believes in chakra clearing and she believes in mm-hmm. aromatherapy. So mm. you can actually condition your vent system with the right mm. essential oils and aromatherapy to mm. help, you know, if you're not sleeping, if somebody in the house right. isn't sleeping or, you know, and if there's a, like, you know, a lot of worry in the house or, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know, someone's mm-hmm. ill, there's like sadness or you just want happy feelings. And this mm-hmm. aromatherapy has been helping me settle with some of, you know, the issues that I've been facing with isolation. Oh, wow. You know what I mean? You should look oh, into I it. Oh, I love that. Anyway, just I'm glad to look into that. Oh my God. So much fun. Okay. So Ready. one last question. Freedom means a lot of things to a lot of people, and it can mean something different in, in the morning than it does in, in the afternoon. But it's one of my favorite mm-hmm. words. I think it's so encompassing for so many things that are important to us as individuals, as human beings. And so I like to ask everybody how you find your freedom. What does freedom mean to you and how do you find your freedom? Freedom means being authentic to yourself, even when it hurts. Knowing that we are all different and some of the things that you don't love about yourself is exactly what makes you you. And you find that by having time and space to be able to connect with yourself. And if the pandemic hasn't done anything else for us, I think it's given us some time and has definitely given us some space. Sometimes we are so bombarded with our phones or TV or where we have to go or events and this and that, that we are not self-reflective. So for me, I will be honest, I have found myself during this pandemic and I have found my own piece of freedom by unlocking that. Oh, that is so beautiful. I love that so much. Oh God, you guys just take a minute with that one. You've done so many things. Like, is there a place someone can go to look at all of the, you know, philanthropic work that you do? Do you have a website or something that we can send people to? Yes. Right. Because um, it's too every, much for 50 minutes. For and it's get- fine. And it's fine. Everything I do, feel free to go to www.wendyocefo.com. And there's like forms where you can contact myself or my team. And it has a lot of external links to everything else I do, like the 1954 Equity Project. I do this thing called Wine with Wendy, where I bring people together and we talk about pressing social issues. That was actually featured on season five of Potomac, where I brought everyone together to talk about the upcoming election. And we're talking about how it's not just national elections that matter, but also local elections, sort of what we were talking about earlier. And so- my website has everything on there. So feel free to go to my website. Perfect. And then tell me where they can find you on social media and that sort of thing. So they can follow you on Instagram. Absolutely. I am on all social media platforms at Wendy Osefo. Amazing. That's so easy. Okay. So I am so excited that I have you as my new friend and my resource because I'm going to be having some wine with Wendy. Yes. Let's do it. Because I love having someone who really mm-hmm. analyzes these things and has, you know, a history in it and really a craving to help teach people yes. and, and move us forward. So I am going to be having wine with Wendy. Yay. Thank you so much to, to my guest, Dr. Wendy Osefo. This is In My Heart. I'm your host, Heather Thompson. Be sure to follow along at I Am Heather T and send me any questions. Don't forget to subscribe and download wherever you stream your podcast and join us next week for another episode. Welcome to Hollaback. This is the part of my podcast where I answer all of your questions. My next question is from Cindy at Soulful Hippie. Cindy asks, 
I want to start my own side hustle, which would be targeted to women. I'd love to create a community of like-minded people who in turn will support my business and also allow me to impact the lives of a lot less fortunate people. I'm very creative. I make candles and jewelry and I paint, etc. I just feel that I'm stuck when it comes to creating an online community. And I would love to hear your tips if you have any. Well, Cindy, I think that that's a great question. And I think that one of the most important things for you to remember here is what you have to offer as you. So it's so important to be yourself. Well, there might be a lot of other people out there who paint or make candles or are targeted toward women. You have to show the world how joining your tribe is different than anyone else's. What about yourself that makes you totally unique? What can other people relate to? You mentioned, you know, you're an artistic and you're an artist and you have a new business. Well, keep in mind that there's also more to who you are than just your your art and your business, right? What other passions do you have? Cooking or your family or your pets. These are all things that will make you stand out from everyone else. You don't ever want to be afraid to let your true self shine because there is someone out there exactly that matches that kind of feeling or that DNA, if you will. And then you're going to draw that person to you naturally. And that connection will take place. And once you start being yourself and building your community, you want to encourage the people that are following you to invite their friends to join as well. You know, make it clear who the community is for. Be specific, be targeted in your goal. And if the others have friends who fit into it, this is a great way to grow your community. Be consistent, show up every day. And remember that building this community should excite you. And you're going to make probably very long lasting friendships. I wish you the best of luck. In My Heart is a production of Embassy Row. Our executive producer is Sarni Rogers. This episode was produced by Alexa Machia and Anna Marie Johnson, Karen Silverstein, and Heather Thompson. The show is edited by Maureen Vigas. You can follow me on Instagram at I am Heather T. See you next week. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.